You'll notice he didn't say class is, so sorry, you're all stuck in here with me. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, um, I, I think we've about got our formatics sorted out. This is probably what we've been doing most of the time on Sunday night. I won't say all. I know we're going to mix it up. We might do a couple different things. Uh, if things get real off the rails and i got a lot to say to you guys, maybe I'll go you know, the whole hour and just preach to you. But uh, for the most part, we'll probably have this kind of discussion period. And if you were with us last week, uh, what we did is we kind of just basically talked about a little more in depth, a little more in detail, uh, what we were doing this morning. Make sure you guys can hear me, but I'm not blowing everybody out of the building here. Can you all hear me in the back all right? Good. These pews up here are empty, if you can't hear. Just saying. Um, so, so I mentioned this a little bit earlier, uh, talking about renewing our mind. One of the things I want to do is talk a little bit more uh, about that and hopefully have some discussion on what exactly that entails. Um, off the top, I realized I said the word change a lot this morning if you were with us and just talking about that. And I kind of want to clarify what I mean um, off the top here. I'm still trying to get a feel for how you guys have done things. Uh, I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm coming in here and saying, hey, we got to do this and we got to do this. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm full of ideas, but I, I want to get a lay of the land before I start running anywhere. Um, so I was not necessarily trying to say there's some big, serious, glaring issue that we just got to address. That was not it at all. Uh, but, and as I was kind of thinking about this, I, I really feel like a better word for what I was talking about this is really just growth. The, the idea of continual spiritual improvement. And you'll, you'll hear me talk a lot about that because I think one of the worst things we can do as Christians and together as a church is sit back and go, you know, I'm good. I, I'm done learning spiritually. This is, a, this is the final product. I don't need to grow anymore. I don't need to keep learning. I don't need to do any more than I'm doing right now. I've, I've achieved spiritually because the, the, the truth is there is you're not going to see that anywhere in the, the Bible I got I mean I'll, I'm open to discussion on that front but I'm not sure you'll find that um, so not settling always trying to, to, to examine ourselves and be honest be reflective be self-aware of what our you know what, what our strengths are what our struggles are what even maybe some of our failures are to church so that we can address those things uh, because at the end of the day we we are a community, like a spiritual community first. We're not a building. We're not a list of people who have placed membership and have name tags. Like our first duty as Christians really, our first duty is to God. Our second duty is really to each other, to, to, to sort of keep that idea of a spiritual community. And so I feel like um, the more we fight the tendency for us to stagnate, the better we're going to be, if that makes sense. Um, I know having a new preacher, depending on what kind of person you are, can be exciting. It can also probably be a little nerve-wracking. You're maybe an anxious person or you're afraid of change. <laughs> hey, that's honest. That's true. That's true. Um, but I, I guess I just want to follow up with that because, I, like I said, I talked about change, but I think I was really talking about growth. You know, I don't have an agenda. I don't have a lot of things that I want to push the congregation one way or the other. I just want to figure out where you guys are. At least for a little while. Get back to me in about five, six years, and then maybe we'll talk about going one direction or another, I guess. But for now, I just want to feel things out and just, like I said, talk about this idea of uh, spiritual development, growth. Um, so this morning, we were in Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2 in the morning. 
And if someone wants to start us off and go ahead and read that for us. And they get there. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Got there way before I did, so give me just a minute. Okay. <clears throat> so, yes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Um, so, before I get into my whole list of extra notes and stuff, what, what, do you, what did I say that just totally blew anyone's mind or what lost anybody? What kind of questions or maybe thoughts or comments do you guys have on Romans 12, verses 1 and 2? I'll open it up for a little bit and then I'll get into it. I'll ask you guys a question to maybe prime this a little bit. We skipped right over verse 1. Um, but what does it mean to you to be a living sacrifice? Okay. like that answer. Never go wrong doing that, right? And totally for God. Yeah, I, uh, I touched on this a little bit uh, earlier. The, the phrase living sacrifice is supposed to kind of catch your attention. as If it sounds confusing, it is. Good. You, Paul has succeeded. That was kind of his mission. Uh, sacrifice is dead, right? Typically, sacrifices are an animal that has been killed. It's the burnt offering. He's referring to kind of the old school Jewish practice. So he's trying to speak their language. When he's talking about this idea of sacrifice, of reconciliation, of uh, um, propitiation, it's a big word, but it means sort of that, uh, that, that price that was paid for sin. Because, of course, under the old law, they were always doing sacrifices in order to sort of pay some idea of penance so that their sins might be rolled back. And Paul tells them... So you bring up an interesting point. I was going to go there at some point, actually. Um, I might have a hard time calling Christ a living sacrifice because I think uh, one of the most important things he did, in my perspective, is die in a weird well, sense. Yeah, but he was walking over there. No, absolutely. Yes. I could not die for my own sins because I have sinned, right? Um, I was going somewhere, and I just totally lost my train of thought. I'll find it in about two seconds. But this, just this idea of the, the living sacrifice, I know where I was going now. Sorry, you guys will have to bear with me. When I was at the Devo, Marty had me try some of his Death Wish coffee, and I'm like seeing sounds. So if this just gets a little bit off the rail, you guys might have to help me out here. Um, but don't worry, I'm, it's just coffee. We're all good. 
Um, so you brought up an interesting point. You talked about Christ's sacrifice. I, I, I want to explore this for a second. I, I really, we don't need to show hands, but I firmly believe each of us, I mean, the Sunday night crowd is not typically your casual visitor walking in by, right? I mean, we all made an effort to be here. We made this a priority. We took time away from things I'm sure we, I don't want to say rather be doing, but other things we certainly could be doing with our weekend. I bet if I asked you guys, and I bet I could do this with most churches, if I said, are you willing to die for Christ, our hands would shoot up. In many ways, I feel like it is much harder to live for Christ. Because I can make it, I know where I'm going. You want to send me there and I'll be a martyr? Done, let's go. I'm ready. If it means something and it's, you know, for the faith and for the cause, and there might be something a little bit, almost morbidly self-glorifying about that willingness. But if I said, no, I want you to go back to your normal life that you're not so thrilled about, and I want you to wake every day up every day doing the hard work of being uh, nice to your neighbors, showing the love of Jesus, forgiving people, and trying not to sin more than you did yesterday. That's a lot harder. That's a much longer commitment than uh, signing right up to die, I think. We have to sacrifice our time. There's a lot of things that we would like to do. There wouldn't be anything wrong with. But if we do God's work, we got to sacrifice our time. We Definitely. We got to go and do what He told us to do. We love for those people. When He said, "Go teach the gospel to all the world," He wants us to go and love. So we have to sacrifice our time. We might not sacrifice a life, but now for our country, look at the cemeteries. 18-year-olds, 16-year-olds, men and women that died in war for our country. That's sacrifice, too. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point. And we have to give up our children a lot of times die in war. Some in here have children that died in war, probably. Yes. You bring up an interesting point. You notice they don't have a draft anymore because they've got plenty of people signing up for the Army, and we're not at active war, and I don't want to make this a political conversation. They got plenty of 18-year-old boys signing right up to die for the country. I don't see a whole lot of 18-year-old boys signing right up to live for Christ. I don't want to sound like a Russian communist or anything. But in terms of our love for our family, our God, and our country, which one's where? I mean, you look on TV and on flags and on... I'm just being honest, y'all. In the part of the country we're in, there is no love lost for veterans, police officers, five and those are great and admirable things. But how about we put some young men into ministry? How about we tell them the glory that can be found putting your life towards God? I mean, where do we want to send a score of young men? Into the pulpit or into a, a war zone? better point that I made, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. We, we as a people are not, I don't be named all the time, but I feel, yeah. like, I feel like I am sometimes, but, but, but I've got these pet themes that, that I just can't not talk about, but, you know, we, we, we need, you know, and having just gone what, what we've gone through as far as trying to find you, uh, you know, there is not a huge supply, not a Here 
much. The, he had the, the antithesis of welcoming, and he, he typically got stoned for that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if we go out the door and knock, oh, shudder, uh, then, you know, and we get a door slammed in our face, then, then we think we've been persecuted. <laughs> and, you know, we, we, there's so many temptations out there that stand between us and the practice of our faith. Um, it, it's, you know, it, it's constantly on the radio, on the TV, in the newspaper, uh, social media, uh, you, your, your co-workers at work, and, and we have to deny ourselves, and we have to pick up our cross and follow Christ. And you, you follow Paul's example in Philippians 3.17, I can't quote it, but he, he says, you know, follow my example and those who walk this way, uh, you have us for a um, and do we really follow that pattern? I, I know I'm kind of walking sometimes. Yeah. And lack. Well, not sometimes, but, um, you know, so, I'm sorry, I said a lot. No, you're good. This is, this is. This phrase, living sacrifice, you know, offering your bodies as living sacrifice. basically saying, living your life. Yes. Absolutely. And we could talk about the, the totality of what that means, right? Completely, fully, 100%. Um, I, I was waffling between two things to read for our little kind of Devo portion. That was the, the calling of David or the calling of Samuel. And I think of Samuel's response. You know, he hears the Lord calling and he says, Here I am, here I am, here I am. And finally he tells him, You know, Go pray, it's the Lord, it's not me. And he said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And uh, I don't know if it was just because I think that was the theme for one of the first lads to leaders I did when I was a kid. But I, that, that verse always kind of rings in my head a little bit. How do we respond when the Lord is calling us, you know? Um, <laughs> he was ready, and we are to be ready, but sometimes we don't know when we want to go. Yeah, and that's probably a question if you threw out to different ages, you'd probably get a wide variety of answers, right? In that verse also, it says, Accept, acceptable to God. So how are we accepting? Aha, uh-huh. okay. Truth is truth. Yes. What translation are you reading from? I'm just curious. Okay. Because, yeah, verse, uh, depending on what you got, verse 1 either says, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service, which kind of mean different things. And I want to, linguistically, part of me wants to be like, well, what are we, I'll dive into that. But putting that aside, I think if we talk about them in context, they're similar enough that we can deal with them as one statement, so to speak. Your reasonable service or your spiritual worship. You, 
Yeah, absolutely. But you talked about the, uh, the, the true or the acceptable part of that. I want to go over to Romans 6, 12. I would say more than, even more than some of the many other books in the Bible. There's a lot in Romans that you want to look at in context because Paul is writing one big long argument. And I, if we did a, a study on the book of Romans, A, you need to find someone much more scholarly than I. But B, you take about a year and a half and you might understand it. Because <laughs> he, he makes this big log argument. He's building on all these concepts and he's building them and he's tying them all together. But in Romans 6, 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And I think about that, and I think about that, and I believe I, believe I wrote down... Well, I'll have somebody read for us. If someone wants to turn to 1 Corinthians 6.19, we're going to kind of look at these at the same time. 1 Corinthians 6.19, if someone could read uh, verses 19 and 20, 1 Corinthians 6. That's not even new. That is old King James. More power to you, sir. It goes right over my head. But I, um, so that's, of course, about our bodies being a temple. right? Our bodies are presented when we present ourselves to God. And we could, this is another one of those rabbit holes where we could go down everything that temple uh, meant to the Jews and all the imagery Paul's using there. But that's really, that illustration of presenting your body as a temple is exactly what Paul's talking about here in Romans 6. He's saying, you... You are presenting yourself to God. You are presenting your whole self. And when he, he uses this word members, but it means like all parts of your body. Present your whole self as instruments for righteousness. If you look through, I mean, you could look through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's about six to ten chapters of Leviticus that are just dealing with how they had to present sacrifices. And it was talking about these were clean and these were unclean. And if you had these that were clean, you also had to prepare them this in a certain way. And they had to be prepared by somebody who had kept themselves clean and had to be done in a certain way. All so that it was pleasing to God. And in the same way, I think Paul was really calling back to that and saying, like, we are the sacrifice. So in the same way, we must ourselves be clean in a sense. And he's not talking about uh, sinless. We're not perfect. It's in this same chapter, I believe, 6, 623. It says, um, wage of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. Same thing in Romans. He says, all have sinned. We know that. But he says, present yourself as members of righteousness. 
that the sin will no longer have dominion over you. I like the phrase in verse 12, really, where he says it will no longer reign in you. We make mistakes, sure. I mean, we're all going to make mistakes. The standard is perfection, but at the same time, don't let... Don't let uh, it get you down that you still struggle with sin. But he says, just do not let it rain in you. Continue to, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, about that idea of progress and not being stagnant. But we are living sacrifices, which means uh, we can't let sin reign in us. Is there any other comments about that? Because i got a couple other things I want to get to. Um, if there's not. Cool. Um... I wanted to talk about renewing our minds. I hinted at this a little earlier, and like I said, our Devo portion. And I'm, I'm jumping back to Romans 12, for the record. Um, going back to Romans 12, verse 2. Because we really focused on not being conformed to the world, and we talked about transform, uh, being transformed by the renewal of our mind, and how... Uh, our actions and our emotions and for all of our things to not be sinful, we really have to start with our mind and our thoughts. And I think typically when we think of this idea of renewing our mind, and I, and I talk about this idea of purging our mind from sin, I think we tend to think of that as it relates to maybe lust or temptation or, or certain sinful desires, right? If I say you need to get the sin out of your mind, that's probably one of the first places we go. And that is kind of what we talked about this morning. But I want to go a different direction here. Um, putting that aside, and if, if I just say outside of the scope of temptation necessarily, because I feel like we talked about that this morning, what are things we can do that you would say is, is renewing our mind? What are ways we can renew our mind spiritually? Well, like three people said that at one time, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Someone read Acts 17, 11, and 12 for us, please. That was Acts 17, uh, verse 11 and 12. These were more fair-minded than those of Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so, therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. They studied the scriptures to see if these things were so. I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but if we're looking at the biblical example of how to respond when somebody brings you a teaching, what's the first thing you're supposed to do? See, she went to a different verse you had off the top of your head because you must have been studying. <laughs> The first thing we need to do if someone brings us any kind of teaching, and I think Van touched on this in our Bible class early this morning, but if someone brings us a teaching, are we studying the scriptures to see if these things are true? And I don't mean necessarily to play some kind of gotcha journalism thing because they misquoted a scripture, but if someone brings us a teaching and they says, this is how we ought to behave, this is what the church looks like. The last church I was at for a little while, I told them, I said, you know, one of these days, I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to cite every verse completely wrong and say a bunch of things that are not true and just see if anybody says anything. <laughs> just throw a bunch of verses out there and just, just see if anybody's, you know, lights are on. 
If we're looking at the, the strictly biblical example, if someone brings us a teaching, are we looking to see if what they're saying is true? Are we, are we looking at not just the verses there, not just as are they reading the correct verse when they cite it, but is what they're saying what the Bible's saying? I mean, you, you want to talk about the way churches get off the rails is because you start trusting whoever's at the pulpit to be bringing you the Word of God, and you're not bringing the Word of God. And you're right. In term, well, in terms of study and in terms of learning the word, yes. I mean, one on you can't beat the, the the skill and the knowledge you can build up in like one on one or at home Bible studies. But the truth is, if we're just looking at the numbers, most people who call themselves Christians, their only teaching they're going to get is when they're in the church building. That it. I tell you for a fact, some people think that. <laughs> See, it used to run like that, though. It used to, before everything come into the world that took our attention and everything away from the Bible and studying people were really good at the Bible knowing what it said. And just about anybody uh, of not my generation, but the generation before, could just about call anybody down. I mean, if, if, if we're talking, you know, the maybe 60, 80, 100 years ago and locally, maybe. But if you want to look at the timeline that kind of the Bible lays out, if we're talking the thousand or so, couple thousand years of Christianity, I mean, this is the thing that's gone up and down a lot, you know. Um, I, was, I was in class one time. We were studying, I want to say it was out of Isaiah. And he, he talked about how these archaeologists, they had found kind of where they think Jerusalem is and where the city was and where the temple was and where the people were studying. And they said, the archaeologists, they found the weirdest thing. In some of these areas where Isaiah was preaching and preaching and preaching about don't have false gods, don't have false gods, quit following the gods of the other nations. Even in the holy cities, these archaeologists, they found trace evidence of like a lot of little idols, of pagan idols. And he said, it's the weirdest thing. The guy was up there preaching, but everyone was still sinning. Isn't that weird? And of course he's talking to a room full of would-be ministers, and I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> this might sound familiar. And I'm, obviously I'm not talking like us, but I mean, if, we, if you think about the history of God's people and people of the world, I mean, it's always been about that many people even trying to listen. And then within that, how many people are going home and studying? I mean, Paul goes to church after church after church, and he even says... The ones here were more, what, is, what did your translation say, Jeff? Fair-minded? Uh, I think I've heard fair-minded. I want to say I've heard righteous, but I can't, I'm speaking off the top of my head there, so I better be careful. But more noble. More noble. That's the word I was looking for. Yes, sir. And he says, because they studied the scriptures. And Paul, was, <laughs> Paul says this one, he goes to like seven churches in two chapters, and he says, one of them, I went and spoke, and they went to study the scriptures to see if it was true. <laughs> and, and 
up something. One of my favorite series that I did was revisiting VBS stories and looking at things like Samson, looking at things like Jonah, looking at uh, might have done Lions Dinner, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and looking at them because uh, if you grew up on Veggie Tales in Bible school, like I did off and on, kind of scattered throughout parts of my life, you get to some of those stories and you're like, that wasn't in Bob and Larry. I don't remember that in the Veggie Tales movie. And there's some stuff where, like you said, you know, we get comfortably thinking of the stories, and I, it goes two ways, right? Sometimes you, you feel like you know it and you still learn something new every time you read it, but sometimes you're like, well, I know that story. And then someone finally opens the Bible and shows it to you, and you're like, oh, I, I don't know that story at all. Um, when we're talking, I mean, like I said, if we're talking about the strictest biblical example of when someone brings us any kind of teaching, the least we can do is kind of study it for ourselves just to see if it's true. And, and again, like I'm saying, not because we want to doubt the person teaching us, but because it will make us better Christians if we do that. We talked a little bit about, uh, you mentioned time earlier. The reality is that I, I get it. We've got, whether it's jobs, whether it's kids in events, school, if you're homeschooling your kids and now you've got your kids in school and then you're trying to deal with them just being out of school but still at home. We've got a million different things to do during the week. I get that. But this is one of those things that I've, I've read about as many studies as I can find on it because it plagues my every waking moment. Uh, the, the kids who kind of grow up in the church and leave. And it says the more you can normalize spiritual conversations in your home, the more likely your kids are to stay close to God. And I think that applies to the members of our family who are not kids too. The more we can kind of normalize talking about our faith outside of the church building, the stronger our faith is going to be. And so that means if we can take home a lesson or we can go home and we can talk about that with our family, we can talk about that with the people in our household, we're going to, like I said, not always necessarily because we're doubting the person teaching, but it will make us better, better Christians, stronger in our faith. I want to challenge us with another idea here as we begin to sort of wrap up. I don't think I'm going to go much, much past about 7.30. You guys didn't take that too bad. I'll file that one. All right. That's good to know. Um, no, I've just got a few more thoughts here. But uh, I wanted to, we talked about in the idea of taking our thoughts captive last week as well. And something we really talked about was serving God over serving money and materialism, stuff like that, and how it begins with our, our priorities and really our perspective, right? The way we see things, the way we kind of view the world, um, the way we view our own lives. But I want to push outside that a little bit. How can we serve God in the way that we see the world? Or is there a way that I, I view and can think about things that is perhaps more godly or in a way that God would want. The way we got to serve God and when we walk in front of the world the world is supposed to see God in us. Our lives. If we never open our mouth by the things we do. It's just like it was 2,000 years ago. And time does not change. I've heard people talk about in religion. Well, this is the year 2022. That was 2,000 years ago. No, God doesn't change. And he won't change. But the way we do it and 
yeah, they go see us make mistakes. But they're supposed to see God by just watching the church. So they said, we should certainly be, I mean, it's the old, the adage older than I am, right? Preach the gospel when necessary, use words, that old saying. But just if we're talking about renewing our minds, and we're talking about how this starts with our thoughts and it starts with our perspectives, what are ways we can view the world or the things of the world? And I don't necessarily mean the world in like a fleshly carnal sense, but I mean like, I feel like last week we talked about the way I view myself, right? My own life, my own priorities. I can set godly goals for myself instead of maybe uh, material goals. But, but if I try and apply that to other people, how does God want me to view other people? Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely. The, the question was there's not really like a right or wrong. It was very broad because there's a bunch of different ways you could go with it, I feel like. That's definitely one of them. That's what I said. Those are two very different. And this is why I said I'd, there's not really a right answer because there's a bunch of different ways you can go for it, right? Because, I mean, if, if you just look at the scriptures on <laughs> – go to your reference Bible and look at the word world and look at all the different scriptures and the way God says to treat the world, to view the world. You know, don't be like the world. Don't love the world. Don't be in the world. Be out of the world. A lot of ways we can kind of look at this. And we're not to be selfish. Yeah? We can't be selfish. If somebody needs something out there that I don't need, go. I want to look at one more verse, and I think this is along some of the lines of what we're talking about. Look at Matthew 31, and you know what, just for the sake of time, I think I'll read this for us, but it's from Matthew 31, verse 25. Matthew chapter 31, verse 25. Yeah, that's not right. Yeah, there's not a Matthew 31. I'll find, I bet you it's 21, but I'll find it. Yeah, you guys are listening. You guys got it. I know what it is. It's it's twenty five thirty one, not thirty one twenty five. It's twenty five thirty one. Y'all are quick learners. I like this. This is good. <laughs> but see, Van Van's got you got the digital Bible. You pulled it up right away, and you're like, "There's not thirty one chapters in Matthew." Um, I'll read from us real quick from Matthew twenty five, verse thirty one. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me food. I was thirsty, and you gave Me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. One of the things I go here is because actually, as you guys both exactly mentioned, there's, there's kind of two things I think about in our relationship to the world. And, and the one is certainly on one hand, spiritually, we should not let the priorities of the world cloud the priorities of Christians. But on the other hand, I think sometimes when we talk about renewing our mind and serving God with our thoughts and with our perspectives and with the way we view things, what does our culture say about people who are hungry and thirsty? I mean, I'll tell you what I've heard. I mean, if nobody else wants to say anything. I grew up in a city. I grew up in the inner city. I grew up going by people on the side of the road. And I had, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but people I would consider Christian role models. I mean, what are you, the first time you see it, if you've ever gone to a, a larger city, it's kind of shocking seeing what some, the, the, the state that some people live in in this country. It's kind of shocking. But what happens is you are taught to pretty much ignore those people. We're taught to think less of them, to overlook them, to view them as less than us. And I think it's very interesting that this is so, so soon after the parable of the talents. There's a lot of lessons we could pull from that. But if you think about what our culture has to say about people who are in prison, I mean, it's their own fault. Whatever happens to them in there, I mean, why do I need to visit them? They're in prison for their own actions. Not them. Why should I care about that, right? People who are hungry, find better clothes, get a job, feed yourself. Not my problem. In this strange way, we have let the world's priorities both absorb the things we should be doing and the things we shouldn't be doing. We've let it tell us that like, not only should the Christians of the church not chase uh, God, but we should chase money and we should chase fleshly things and worldly things. But we've also let the world convince us that, ah, we don't, we don't need to be helping people. We need to care about people. And we've just let our thinking become so clouded in this way, I think. There's a very, and I promise I'm, I'm not going to go too long here on this, but I think there's a very common mentality, especially if you grew up in a certain generation, if you grew up uh, with a certain level of work ethic, and I don't mean to disparage that at all, but I see a very common mentality in, in some of the, when I think of my family and kind of the rural background I grew up with, it's that I earned what I have. And if you don't have what I have, it's because you didn't earn it. Right? And I sometimes wonder if we are not recognizing that I have what I have because the Lord gave me what I have. I think somebody was about to say something. If you, in, I mean... If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, certainly. Believe Jesus that I will give you drink indeed. He said, "My flesh is bread indeed, and my drink, my blood is drink indeed." Those who thirst for righteousness will be given righteousness. But he doesn't say anywhere that those who hunger for food will be given food. <laughs> In fact, you can find the opposite if you go to the Beatitudes. 
Sure. Yes, sir, we were talking about this morning. Yes, sir. Yeah, and actually, there he is. We were talking about that before class, about the holy ones. But I'm, I'm not going to start a fight here, but... Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. What's interesting is you can go to Luke on the Sermon on the Mount, and you can talk about those where he just says, Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who are meek. And he says, Woe to you who are satisfied. Woe to you who are rich now. Because he says, we think of the story that Luke gives us about Lazarus and the rich man, that you were given in this life good things, but uh, in Lazarus and this life bad but it will not be so in the next life. There's not a promise that uh, if we are hungry, we will be fed physically. And in fact, if anything, if we read the Bible, he tells us over and over, if we are to follow Christ, we're probably going to suffer. As long as we are a part of the world, we're going to suffer. Um, as Christians, it's our part to take care of us. Absolutely. And that's what I was thinking about, is just that idea that if, if you take what Matthew 25 says and you take kind of what I feel like sometimes we can let get into our mind about how we view people, this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about when I say how can we renew our minds? How, how can we change our perspective to be more like the perspective God wants us to have? How can we continue to think about what are the ways God wants me to have that renewal of my mind to be transformed? Is that Philippians? You guys just studied Philippians. I believe that's at the end of Philippians 4. Always think more highly of others than yourself, or always counting, esteeming others as higher than yourself. I think is what it Certainly. Absolutely. And we can, like I said, we can get into our actions and our behaviors and things like that. But when we, we talked a lot this morning about this phrase, renewal of our mind, and I just wanted to explore just like a, I mean, an inch deep into what that can possibly mean. But we could, we could go all night about this, but I'm going to put a pin in it. Does anybody have, I guess, any like final thoughts, questions?